We're in summer school because you failed to learn the lessons well. You didn't complete the homeworks, but now you have an opportunity to do a redo. So before we get back uh, into the fall, we get to try again to do what uh, we're called to do. Well, we're using the book of Proverbs to help us wise up. Now, one of the overarching pictures or illustrations in Proverbs is that life is a journey, life's a path. And God tells us how to walk. God promises to go with us along the walk. But there are lots of warnings because there are pitfalls along the road. Oh, yeah. And there are voices that are constantly calling us from the path. Now, here's kind of the picture. Um, Suppose God is like right here, right? Now, God is all-wise, God's all-powerful, and God loves us beyond our ability to understand. He tells us how to walk and promises to walk that path with us. Now, if we turn away from him and head in a different direction, and he is the source of all wisdom, then we move towards stupidity every step we move away from him. That's kind of the overarching theme of Proverbs. When you move away from what God calls you to and away from what God's energizing you to do, you move from wisdom to foolishness or to folly. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to do that by looking at addiction, the antidote for addiction. And I know many of you are sitting, oh, but this service isn't for me. Why did I come today? Um, I don't live in a cardboard box. I don't live on the street. I'm not really addicted to anything. Hang in there, hang in there. I'm going to try to convince you that we're all addicts in one way or another. And here's a question that you, we're going to kind of revolve a lot of the message around. It goes like this. What do you run to when the pressure's on, when you're feeling that emptiness, when you feel like life's out of your control? What do you run to? What do you reach for? Whatever you run to and whatever you reach for is what you're addicted to. We are all addicts. That's the message that the Bible repeatedly gives us. Well, this morning, we're going to look at the antidote for addiction. But in order to do that, we need to understand addiction, how it works a little bit. And I'm going to pull together some different themes from the Bible, but we see see them illustrated in Proverbs as clearly as anywhere else. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs 23. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 17, and then I'm going to stop and I'll jump down to verse 26. And you're going to notice that three things that people run to to fill their emptiness are mentioned here. That's not an exhaustive list. That's an illustrative list, right? Three things are mentioned that people run to. One of them is going to be unpacked pretty uh, pretty much in depth, but they're just illustrations. You need to fill in the blank for yourself. So here we go. Verse 17. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Remember we said fear of the Lord, putting God, keeping God in his place, knowing your place. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Uh, Jump down to, no, no, 19. Listen, my son, and be wise, and set your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat, for drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. 26. 
my son, give me your heart. Let your eyes delight in my ways. For an adulterous woman is a deep pit, and a wayward wife is a narrow well. Like a bandit, she lies in wait and multiplies the unfaithful among men. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not gaze at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. You'll be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? Addiction. I'm not sure what you run to, but I know we all run to something. When you feel the emptiness, when, you, when life's feeling out of control, what do you reach for? What do you run to? That is what holds your heart, and that's what God needs to replace. I'm not sure what it is for you. I know kind of what my things are. That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, in order to get to the remedy, you have to understand the process a little bit. So uh, let, let me show you an addiction spiral. And as we go through the spiral, I want you to kind of personalize it as best you can. So we have a spiral up here. And notice it's not a cycle that you run around. It's a spiral because the, uh, the more you go around the spiral, the deeper and deeper you're getting. So here's how it works. The first level, right, it's kind of innocuous, it's innocent, no big deal, but there's a sense of indifference in your life, right? Insensitivity. You're just kind of minding your own business, going, but you're not vigilant, you're not on guard, you're insensitive, you're um, indifferent to what's going on. You don't recognize the battle, you don't realize there are voices calling you from the path, you don't know there are pitfalls in the way, you're kind of like the blind fool in Proverbs, just kind of wandering along, minding your own business, but you're indifferent. Secondly, the second step of the spiral is you sense an emptiness. There's stress on the inside. Um, how many of you have ever felt stress in your life? Raise your hand. So you're all sitting duck for addiction. That's how it starts, right? You're indifferent. You're not vigilant. And then stress comes, right? Something comes along to remind you of the emptiness inside of you. Something's missing. Well, what do you do? The third thing is you reach for something to fill the emptiness. That just makes sense, right? If you're um, longing for something, if you're feeling like comfort is eluding, you reach for something to bring you comfort. You reach for something to satisfy um, the longing, to reduce the stress, to fill the... You reach for something. And you can reach for a whole bunch of stuff. We'll look at some of them soon. In the passage, did you notice from Proverbs 23, three things were mentioned. Some reach for alcohol, Right? But in our world, we've become great at providing other solutions. We have substances of multi-varieties, right? You can reach for medication. You can reach for drugs. You can reach for alcohol. You can reach for a substance. You reach for it because the emptiness and stress, right? It's going to bring relief. You reach for it. Another thing mentioned in the passage is food. People reach for food. Um, you reach, and that brings a little satisfaction, right? You reach for something to... You, you, think by filling your stomach, you're going to fill your heart, but usually it doesn't work that way. Reach for food. The other example mentioned is people reach for sex. 
right? They reach for, all of the, they're all good gifts, right? Um, but when the good gift becomes something you're reaching for to fill the vacuum, you're now a sitting duck for the process and how it works. So you go from indifference, emptiness, you reach for something, and lo and behold, what you reach for has a payoff. It works. The alcohol, for a little bit, fills that emptiness, right? That sexual relationship that's Ill- kind of brings comfort and pleasure, right? Food makes you feel good and you're full after a while, but it's temporary. Do you understand? And because of the tolerance effect, you always need more. You see how that works? You always need more. So the next time you feel stress, or maybe you run through the cycle you know, thousands of times, you reach for whatever brings relief, but now you need more. You need more to fill the hole. You need more to satisfy. That's why it's a spiral getting deeper. And lo and behold, as you run around this spiral, you eventually are stuck. So here's a, a definition. And tell me if you in some way haven't lived this definition. When the thing you use to relieve the stress is the actual cause of the stress, now you're in bondage. Now you are addicted. When you feel the stress, when you feel the emptiness, you reach for what's brought comfort, what's br- what brought a sense of power, what filled, well, you reach for it, but the thing you're reaching for is actually causing the problem. Well, you're reaching for the, you're stuck. Now you can't get out. That's the addiction spiral. And in one way or another, I'm not sure what it is you reach for. I know every one of us in this room are living examples of that spiral. We're indifferent, right? We don't give heed to what God says, that life's kind of dangerous, and stay on the path, watch out for the potholes, there are voices calling you, be careful. We don't do that, we're not vigilant. And so we um, feel emptiness and stress, we reach for something that is kind of off the path a little bit, and lo and behold, it brings relief, they need more and more, and pretty soon the thing you're reaching for is what's causing the problem, you're trapped, can't get out. Um, well, just to kind of show you that you really do need this, and I need this, this isn't just for other people. Um, Here's a word cloud, right? Of different examples of things that you and I can reach for. And so uh, I gave them a list of things, and here's what they made. So so let me, uh, the list isn't exhaustive, but let me mention a few. You can reach for sweets, food, sex, alcohol, anger, For those of you uh, that struggle, you've learned you can control what's going on by powering up, right? Or the opposite is tears. You've learned that if you reach for tears and you cry at the right time, lo and behold, you can get the payoff. And people feel sorry for you, give you what you want. Anyway, we won't go there. Going to the gym, exercising or working out. You're reaching for something, right? Sleep. Pain, the inflicting of pain, right, brings a sense of relief. You're in control. Gambling, TV, cocaine, work, sports, people, caffeine, shopping, shoplifting, 
praise, affirmation, lying, chocolate, risk, porn. The list is almost endless, right? Indifferent. We live life not very much on guard. Stress, emptiness, we feel that, right? Springsteen was right. Everybody's got a hungry heart. Something in your heart. And Well, what do you do? You reach for something to fill that hunger in your heart. And lo and behold, the thing you reach for actually satisfies a little bit. You need more and more and more. And eventually the thing that you reach for is what's causing the problem and you're now stuck. And it doesn't matter what you reach for. That process works in every one of our lives. Have I convinced you yet? We're all addicts? We, I was going to have it all the same. My name is so-and-so, and I, yeah, but we should all be able to do that, right, at the AA meeting? Yeah, my name is Charles, and I'm an addict, right? And you should be able to say the same thing. Well, how does that dynamic work? Well, let me uh, see, and this is kind of alluded to in uh, Proverbs 23, but let me, uh, let me show you how the dynamic works. This the dynamic underneath addiction is actually a perversion of how God built us. And so let me just remind you, the enemy creates nothing. He corrupts and distorts what God makes. And here's what the enemy has done. So here, here's a little dynamic. Uh, Leslie Vernick and others have kind of played with this, kind of trying to put together some things. So here it is. I'm, I'm not sure you can see that well. Here's how it works. In the center of the triangle, you have what starts out as desires. Desire, you have desires, right? And God built us, and these desires are neutral. There's nothing wrong with a desire. In fact, sometimes in the, some older translations, the word desires get trans, gets translated lusts. Often it's just desires. Desires are neutral. When they become over-desires or demands... Now you have a problem. And so sin is better defined. Sin is not best defined as a de normal desire for something bad. That's not the best definition of sin. The best definition of sin is an over-desire, a demand for something good. That's what sin is. I'm guessing I can speak for you. My main problem is not that I have a normal desire for lots of bad, wicked stuff. My problem is I have an over-desire for good stuff. Now, here, here's the interesting thing. God built us with these desires as alarms, mechanisms to draw us to him. So, for example, we all have a desire for control and power. Now, I don't mean to kind of, you know, run the world, but you have a desire to organize. You have a desire to oversee. You have a desire to steward. You have a desire to... Take something and make it better, right? You, you desire to be, that, that's built in us, right? God says, take care of the garden. Rule over the earth, the birds of the air, fishes of the earth. That God built us with that. But when that desire becomes a demand for control and now, now we've got a problem. God built us with a desire for affirmation and approval. But when you're feeling unappreciated, when you're feeling like nobody cares, when you're not being affirmed, nobody appreciates you, that should be an alarm inside of you to draw you to Jesus, the only one that really matters if he approves you or not. But if you're not going to be drawn to him, 
you're going to be pulled all over the map because you're going to be seeking approval and affirmation and praise by doing things that are going to cause God to be um, discouraged by that, cause God to be um, dishonored by that. So the desire is good. It's that when the desire becomes a demand and we go to the wrong place, it becomes bad. How about the desire for security and comfort? and Well, we want that. God built us, right? He, he doesn't want us to live in pain. You know, he doesn't call us to be masochists. We just go through life trying to make it as painful as... But no, he built us to experience comfort and pleasure. And when you're feeling like those things are eluding you, that should be like a magnet calling you to him, where ultimate approval, security eternally is found. We are stewards under God's omnipresence and omnipotence. We are to find our pleasure and security in, in him and in the gospel. And our affirmation and approval is being sons and daughters of God through what Jesus did. We just celebrate that in communion. And so those desires are actually God-given. They're good things. They should, when you sense a lack, those things should be magnets pulling you to God. But when you're indifferent and stress comes and you reach for something other than the gospel in Jesus, those things that you reach for bring temporary relief and they will trap you and addict you. Aren't you living proof of that? That's, that's how it works. That's how life goes. The addiction dynamic is alive and well in every one of us. So that's kind of how it works. And you, you see it played out in the illustrations given. You can, writer of Proverbs says, you do this with alcohol or some other substance. You can do it with food, which is a good thing. You can do it with sex, which is a good gift of God. And we multiply those things on a word cloud. You can run after all of those things and they'll provide temporary relief and ultimately trap you and disintegrate your life. Well, those are the metaphors used. There are some others in the Bible, but the metaphors all work kind of the same way. So let me, let me give you a couple of them. The metaphor maybe primarily used for addiction in the Bible is idolatry, right? You reach for something, you reach for an idol, um, or you can reach for the things mentioned in Proverbs 23. Um, but notice, here's how all of them, so idolatry, adultery, right, addiction to some stuff, here's how it all work. There's an attraction, and then there's a promotion. God gets moved to the back burner. These things get moved to the front burner. That promotion then leads to your life being revolved around this particular thing. Now, you may ask, We're not all idiots. Why do, we, why do we do that? Well, there are lots of reasons. Let me uh, mention just a couple. Right? You, you can figure out more on your own. Here are a couple. They're easy, right? They're easy. And here's one. You can guarantee the payoff, right? You can't guarantee that God's going to answer your prayer the way you want, but you can guarantee by picking up that substance and making that feel-good experience happen in just a couple of minutes. Now, the results are going to mess up your life later, but it, it, it's a guarantee you can make it happen, and it's easy to do. Isn't that how idolatry works? 
Idolatry really puts the worshiper on the center stage. Here's how idolatry works. If I do one, two, three, I can guarantee the idol will give me X, Y, Z. That's why idolatry is so powerful. That doesn't happen with God, does it? Because, well, God, here, I want one, two, three. God says, well, how about 10, 11, 12? I, I mean, I hate God for that, right? He doesn't adopt my plans very often. Um, but idols do. You can jump through the idolatrous hoops and make it happen. You can do that with adultery. You can do that with food. You can do that with alcohol. You can do it with cocaine. You can do that with whatever substance you want. It's easy, and you can guarantee it happening. You can make the result come. It's convenient, and it's pleasing. That's why it works. Notice, we stay in control. Remember, uh, we talked about the, the fear of God and turning the triangle? All of addiction happens when you turn the triangle. You now get to call the shots, and that's what's going on. The metaphors all say the same thing. There's an attraction, there's a promotion, and in that promotion, you get stuck. That's how it happens. Okay, well, that, that's enough of the problem. How does restoration work? How does restoration work? Well, actually, Proverbs hints at how restoration works. And not a whole lot in 23, but earlier in the book, right? Remember we said the first nine chapters are kind of a little unit, and part of that is that you have to fear God. God means you, you put you're in your place and God's in his place. That, that's how it's going to be fixed. And, but here's another one from Proverbs chapter 3. Many of you have memorized this, or you have it you know, needle-pointed in your house somewhere, hanging on your wall. Um, there's power in this, though, right? Here's what the writer of Proverbs says. Trust in the Lord, right? That, that, we're back to that again, right? Trust in the Lord. With all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways, submit to him. The old acknowledge, uh, submit's a better word. Submit to him, and he will make your path straight. You know what those verses actually say? Don't be self-deceived. If you go your own way trying to live your own life, you will always be deceived because your heart's a liar. So what are you going to do? You're going to follow your heart, which is what our culture keeps saying, right? Or are you going to trust the Lord with all your heart? Now, here's where... Um, the gospel and lots of uh, self-help programs diverge pretty clearly. Um, real restoration is not a willpower thing. Hey, yeah, you need to make some decisions, right? You need to be alert and vigilant. And all. Yeah, but, but this isn't a willpower thing. This is actually a uh, remember and recommit thing. We did that at communion, right? This is a look to Jesus and find the problem solved kind of thing. Let me uh, give you an example. None of us in this room have willpower enough to stand against the power, the beauty, and the pleasure of those idols we run to. You're a sitting duck for those idols every time. You can't defeat them. You know what you need? You need to remember something, oh, someone more powerful, more loving, more beautiful, more caring, more forgiving, 
and your heart will drop, loosen its grip on the powerful, beautiful thing you're holding to grasp the more beautiful object. Let me explain it this way. My grandson Carter had his uh, four-year birthday yesterday, fourth birthday, little guy. Let me uh, tell you about some of the toys he got, just so you can be jealous and envious. He got three Transformers, a car, a fire engine, and a helicopter. And if you manipulate them, they turn into warriors that can defeat the enemy. He loved those things, right? He couldn't take them. I had to sit and teach him how to work them, right? Because I know how to work them. We, it took me a while, but I eventually figured out how to work them. He also got a seat, right? And you put this seat either outside or inside on a smooth floor, and you spin it, and you spin around on the seat. It was really pretty cool, right? There was a really good cake. There were cupcakes. There were cookies. There was Chick-fil-A. It was awesome. You know what? Carter was in heaven. He's grabbing the transformer. He's spinning in the seat. He's got blue icing all over his face. He is running after all these things. You know what drew his attention away from all those beautiful objects? To tell you the truth, he didn't hang out with those objects much at all. I played with the transformers more than he did. My butt didn't fit in the seat, or I would have spun around in that too. I did eat cookies. And I, I did all that. Not Carter. After a while, he could care less with all those things. You know why? Because in the back of their yard, there was a blow-up water slide. And Carter would run to the water slide and beg everyone who was there to come watch him and join him in the bouncy house in the water slide. You know, it would have been one thing. Carter, let go of the transformer. Stop spinning. That's not going to work. You know what you needed to let? All you needed was to get Carter to let go of all those things. Show him the bouncy water slide. And you know what you and I need? to let go of all the things that attract us and addict us. We just need to gaze at Jesus. Yeah, you're going to have to say no, and you're going to have to say yes, and there's going to be some difficulty that goes with that. But you know what? The real solution is not willpower. It's not powering up. The real solution is to regularly remember who Jesus is and what he did for us. That's what the New Testament's all about. And when you remember, okay, bring your addictions on. Whatever you run to, bring it on. Is it as powerful as Jesus is? Is it as forget? I'd be willing to bet the things you run to, they don't forgive you. They will crush you when you don't do what they say, or they'll make you feel good when you do it, but in the end, they will not forgive you. Yeah, they'll bring pleasure, like the eternal pleasure that comes from the gospel. So in a sense, when you read Proverbs, when you read the Old Testament, when you read the New Testament, here's what God continually says. Whatever you run to to hold your heart, bring it on. Bring it on. Compare it to what you have in the gospel, to what you have in Jesus. Our real work is continually remembering and reminding ourselves of what we have in the gospel, who we are in Jesus. And when you do that, your heart will kind of naturally let go of the things that hold you and attract you. 
It's not going to be easy. I sat at my desk the other day and was trying to think of what that process would be like. Here's what I think it would be like. I won't ask you if this is you. I'll ask you if you know. Have you ever met parents or say a five or six-year-old child that still can't sleep at night or nap during the day without his or her pacifier? Um, when I was a parent, let me tell you, I thank God for pacifiers regularly. I mean, you put that little plug in, it stops the noise. It's an amazing thing. Pacifiers are good for a little kid, but eventually the little kid grows up and a pacifier sucked by a 10-year-old is going to have big problems. Teeth are going to look like garage doors that are open, right? And all kind of... And so here's the solution. The solution is, yeah, if you take the pacifier away from a five-year-old that's always had the pacifier, there's going to be screaming and yelling and sleepless nights. There's going to be panic. Yeah, you bet. But you know as a parent, if you let them have the pacifier, you're looking at big problems down the road. You can't have this guy going to work in the day, working on the assembly with a pacifier. What are the other guys going to say, right? Oh, yeah. And if you have the pacifier plug in your mouth, you can't eat lobster tail and filet mignon. And you can't have a strawberry milkshake and Chardonnay. And you can't kiss your spouse and love your grandkids. It's time we get rid of our pacifiers, huh? I can name mine, I can't name yours. Process is still the same. The pacifier brings temporary relief. It fills the hole temporarily. God loves us too much to let us go through eternity with buck teeth and deformed mouths. So he says, uh, pacifier is coming out. It's going. Trade up to the real thing. So here's your assignment. Just a couple steps. Number one, be honest. Be honest. If you have to, take yourself by the scruff of the neck or people that know you well. Ask them. Sometimes we're blind to these things ourselves. And make yourself look in the mirror and answer the question. When the pressure's on, when stress rises, when you're feeling that emptiness, what do you run to? And don't give the church answer, oh, I run to Jesus. Yeah, you're lying too. You run to something else too. What are you tempted to run to? What do you run to? Name it. And I'll say what Jesus would say. Bring it on. Compare it to me. Take a good look at what I've done. Take a good look at who I am. Take a good look at what I provide for you. Take a look at the path and the power I'll give you to walk and the joy that'll be temporal and eternal. Bring it on. And just like we said in communion, look in the mirror and be honest. Remember. Recommit, and it'll be a process. But maybe you'll reach for the pacifier a little less often. You'll reach for Jesus more as we move toward that destination where he will remove all pacifiers forever of his children and will be welcomed into joy forever, no longer having to fight these battles of addiction. Let's pray.
Father, this, like uh, many others, is a pretty tough lesson because it means we have to be honest, honest about our failings, honest about our problems. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to do that work, to honestly look at ourselves, to bring our addictions, to bring the things we run to into the light of day and to name them, and then to compare that with Jesus and what he's given to us. And Lord, I have the sneaking suspicion that we'll drop the things like the transformers and the spinning seats and we'll run to the bouncy slide. Jesus provides what the trinkets can't. We pray in his name. Amen.